series that covers Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. We're going to be continuing on. We're really, the bulk of our passage is, is, is chapter 3, verses 1 through 8, but I'm going to back up just a little bit. We're going to start in verse 17 of chapter 2. So let's read God's holy inspired word together. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are a glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. That no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Let's pray for God's help. Father, we don't want to approach your word as merely a historical document. We don't want to approach your word as, as good things that Paul had to say to them in that time. God, we want to hear from you afresh today. But God, we know that's only possible by your grace as you enliven our hearts and minds, awaken us, Lord, to, to hear from you. Open up our eyes, we might see you, Lord. And Father, I pray that, that we would hear directly from you afresh this morning by your spirit. And so, Lord, would you empower me as I preach? Would you empower each and every one of us together to receive from you? Now, God, we need you. Now, the truth is, Lord, we, we are tempted. We do experience afflictions, Lord, and we need to hear your word to us in the midst of it. So God, would you encourage us through your word today, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage, and passages like this, that appear to just be mere openings or, or addresses to people in that day, at times it can be challenging. So as you're reading through scripture and you come along passages like this, it can be challenging just to read over it. Paul's just talking to them in that day. He's just writing about how, how much he loves them. And he really loves them a lot, and he was really upset that he was separated from them. And you can see that in the passage. And he really wanted to come back to them, but, but Satan was hindering them. And, and then so you, you see this back and forth between Paul and them. And it can be challenging to see, like, how in the world does this relate? You can see some clear things in the passage. There's, 
There's some clear affection, some brotherly affection that Paul has for them, that, that they in turn have for him that, that seems to encourage them in the midst of their affliction. You can see that Paul is overjoyed that they're doing well, that he's not run the race in vain. But you have to ask why. Why did Paul write this? When you come along any kind of passage like this in Scripture, you have to ask why is this here? Because by God's grace, the Holy Spirit enabled Paul to write this, not just for the Thessalonians, but actually for our good today. And so you have to say, well, God knew that we would come on this passage and we're on the third chapter. Why are we going over greetings again? Well, because this is not just about greetings. Paul intends to instruct them through his example. He's a, he's a master in instructing them, not only through his example, but he's encouraging them through how they have weathered affliction. There's a word that occurs all throughout this little teeny passage. Three times it occurs. Did you catch the word? It's affliction. It's not a really popular word to talk about today. But we need, we need encouragement from God's word. He, he wrote it to them to model, to challenge them concerning the Christian life. That It's one that, that will experience affliction. But he reminds them of the effect of the good news of Jesus Christ, of, of being stirred up in their faith. The fact is that, that anybody who lives a godly life will experience affliction. So you have to ask, okay, how, how does this passage apply to us? The Bible's not just merely a history lesson. It's meant to be a source of encouragement, instruction to us today. And I, I think we can get at understanding what this passage is here for and how it applies to us at both answering both those questions if we ask ourselves some kind of questions to begin with. And the first question is, do I believe the good news he's talking about in this passage? Do I believe... In Jesus, do I believe this good news that he is talking about and he continues to talk about in all his letters? Do I believe it's true? And hopefully the answer for everyone here is yes. Don't assume it is, but that's my hope. And then you have to personalize it. Have I placed my faith in Jesus? And I'm not just for once in the past, but am I doing that currently day by day? And then ask yourself a harder question. This question is not as easy as saying, do I believe in Jesus? Because I think most people who grew up in the church would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Maybe a little harder, okay, do you have faith in him every day? Well, yeah, I'm trying. But the hard question is, am I living for Jesus in such a way that my love for him and my faith for him is so obvious to those around me that it's going to spark affliction? Am I living that way? Let me ask it again. Am I living a way that, that is so clear that that? All of my life has to do with Jesus. It's bound up in him that I'm really living by faith daily in him. And, and I'm trying to live by faith in him, however imperfectly we do that. Am I living in such a way that I'm loving Jesus and living for him so that everybody can tell? And by the way, um, when everybody can tell, we're going to begin to experience affliction. Am I living in that way? Is that my experience? Where my living by faith is so obvious that it's a clear contrast and an opposition to the world around us. Are we living that way that's in a clear contrast, that's in clear opposition to the, the motives what the world around us is living for? Because that's what has transpired in the church in Thessalonica. They've been so affected by the gospel that, that they're living in such a way, they're living by faith, that it's so different that they're experiencing affliction. We have to ask ourselves, is that our experience as well? I'm not saying affliction is something we should sought, we should seek after. 
Affliction is not something we should, well, we're really going to desire affliction. We're going to desire opposition and put ourselves in a place where we're opposing people in a way that's ungodly. No, but if we are living for Christ, we will experience that. But in the affliction, I think, I think we're meant to see that we're not alone. We're not left alone. And Paul, as he speaks to the church in Thessalonica, he's also speaking God's word to us today. And I think God means to encourage us and strengthen us in our faith through affliction. He means for us to have his perspective. He intends for us to have faith in the midst of affliction. That's, that's really, I think, the main purpose of why this passage is here, is that God intends to establish us here today in faith in the midst of affliction. The first thing we're going to see, though, is that that God has something to say to us in the midst of this affliction. And he, he says something that's as a little sobering as well. That, that God says that affliction really comes to the Christian. That's the first thing we see, is that, that affliction really comes to the Christian. Paul, at the very beginning of this passage, uh, the reason why I read in verse 17, is because he says, I really wanted to come to you. I, I was really desiring to be there with you. But he says, Satan hindered us. This is the Apostle Paul. And if you know anything about Apostle Paul's story, before he came to the church in Thessalonica, he experienced a great deal of opposition and affliction. He says, we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time. And he uses this word, torn away. It's, it's, it's to be orphaned, which is a little unusual as a parent to be orphaned from your children. But that's what he's saying. We were, we were, we were orphaned away from you. We were torn away from you. This wasn't voluntary. Something that happened to him, he, as a Christian, as an apostle of Jesus, he himself experienced affliction. He was torn away. And we try to see you face to face again and again. We really had this affection for you. And by the way, I, I love the, the picture. It's not, not, not the main point, but boy, all throughout this passage, you see this godly affection that is formed by brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And that godly affection is actually meant to sustain us. And we'll see that in the latter part of the passage. Paul, he's wanting to get back to them because he knew they were a new church. They needed to be discipled. They needed to be established in their faith. They needed help. And, and so one of the first things he tells them, he says, don't, I don't want you to be surprised. Remember, I told you before, we're destined for this. It is our destiny to experience affliction as followers of Jesus Christ. They left because had they stayed... Jason and the other people they were staying with and the other believers there actually would have experienced uh, undue affliction because of Paul's presence because he stirs things up wherever he goes. And so they left, they were torn away because for the good of the believers there. Yet Paul says there's going to be a hindering, there's going to be an affliction that you're going to experience. And, and in fact, he says Satan hindered us. And he gets really personal and says, I wanted to come to you. He interrupts his own, I, I wanted to come to you, but Satan hindered me. And, and it's not the sense that he stopped his purposes, but in the sense he blocked his way. He put a stumbling block before him. We don't know the details in this case, and Paul didn't write about that, but we know that some reason, something kept Paul from going. It might have been human means. It might have been illness, it might have, whatever it is, but something kept Paul from going and strengthening them himself in the gospel, from going back and, and teaching and instructing them in the gospel. And so Paul sees that behind all of this human activity of opposition, behind human affliction, and, and that word for affliction, by the way, it's the same word for persecution. It's the same word 
that we have for, for suffering for tribulation. It's the exact same word, tribulation, affliction, persecution. Paul says that Satan was hindering us. And he wants them to realize that in the midst of affliction, in the midst of tribulation that we will experience, he says, I want you to see something. That it's not, this is not about people. Ultimately, Paul doesn't blame people for what's happening. He says, Satan hindered us. And, and you know what Paul writes elsewhere in Ephesians? He says, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't want to ever, when you experience Christian, when you experience affliction, when you experience opposition to your faith in Christ, opposition to the gospel for sharing your faith in Christ, what you are experiencing is a wrestling, a spiritual warfare, a wrestling not against flesh and blood, he says in, in, in Ephesians 6.12, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that's not meant to frighten you. It's meant to say, you need to understand what's really going on. I want to instruct you. Actually, it's, it's a means to equip us to say, don't be surprised when people oppose you because really any opposition to the gospel is, is demonically motivated, whether those people know it or not. And then he says, not only that, I don't want you to be moved by these afflictions. I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be moved by these afflictions. They, they resolve to go and send Timothy back. He can't come back for whatever reason. But he says, I, I was willing to be orphaned myself, to left alone, left behind in Athens. It would have been safe, really, for Paul to travel alone as a minister of the gospel. It would have been very advantageous to have people with him. And it's about 200 miles away. It's a 10-day journey there and back from Athens to Thessalonica. So Paul would have been apart for a long time. It would have impeded some of the Paul's ministry he wanted to do. And he says, we, I was willing to be left alone because you needed to not be moved in the midst of affliction. Because Paul knows that they're going to experience it. Because he says, look in the latter half of verse 3, look down your Bibles. He says, that no one be moved by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we, and he's not talking about him and Timothy and Silas. We, meaning all of us, are destined for what? For afflictions. And you think, oh, that's, that's not a really uplifting message, is it? But, but it's meant to be so that we're not surprised when we encounter various trials. We're not surprised when we're opposed by the world. So that we're prepared by for it and realize that, that as, as good soldiers of Christ, we're actually called to battle and we're going to experience opposition. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. He says in verse 4, look down your Bibles again, it says, for when we are with you, we kept telling you, this was Paul's constant message to them. So the Christian life, by the way, is not a life of where you... Become a Christian so that you can be happy, healthy, and wise all the time, always healthy, always wealthy. You can name and claim whatever you want. No, that's not the Christian message here. He says, we were, we were with you. We kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction. Just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Not just come to pass in his life, but come to pass in them. And, and, and let me tell you something. If you are a Christian, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ and you are living that way each and every day, you will experience opposition. If you make it known that you believe in this objective category called sin against a holy God, or against a God who has created us, who we are responsible to, our creator, 
and we have sinned against him, and we've been separated from him because of our sins, and that we deserve his wrath, and that there's only one way to be reunited with him, to be, uh, have peace made between us and God, and that is only through Jesus. There's only one way to, to God, and that's through Jesus Christ and faith in him. If, if that becomes known, if you are living in that way, you will face opposition from people who say, I can go my own way. I can make up my own religion. I can do my own thing. I can, all paths, all roads lead to God. And you say, no, you're going to experience affliction. If you believe that, that what the Bible says about us defines us, defines who we are at the very core of our beings, defines us really in our personhood, you're going to experience affliction. If you make it known that, I, I believe that God created us male and female in his image. There's only two genders. You're going to experience opposition. If you put in your faith in what God says about us, not what we say about us. If, if we believe that, that men and women, women are designed differently with different strengths and roles and, and that, that, that both of us equally bear his image but in different ways, you're going to experience opposition. If you believe that because we're made in his image, that human life has value from creation, from inception, from in the womb. If you believe that, if you believe that, that life's to be protected that is valuable, you're going to experience opposition. If you say that trumps any other right because God says don't murder, you're going to experience opposition. If you believe God's love defines us and constrains us, that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to live upright lives, you're going to experience opposition. Now, hopefully we, we express all those things. We do it in a, in a winsome way, in a loving way, in a gracious way. But there's no way around the truth. If we tell people the truth, the only way to be reconciled to God and avoid hell through Christ, then, then we're going to experience persecution. I like, I like what Gordon Fee says of this passage and about persecution as well. He, he tells us something. He says, normality is persecution. And so Paul concludes this little interlude by returning to their own present reality with a matter of fact, and it turned out that way as you well know. He says, but this reality is not to be made light of. The Christian faith, after all, beginning with our Lord himself, stands in total contradiction to the primary worldview and values of our fallen, broken world. It should, therefore, not be surprising that those who stand in opposition to such a world and its primary values, even if not verbally so, but by contrasting lifestyles, should regularly experience the scorn and hatred of those who prefer Satan's values to Christ. Perhaps the single most unfortunate result of Christendom as a cultural reality has been that the overlay of a less than radical Christian worldview allows God's people to coast rather than experience the kind of expected discipleship Paul speaks of here. Are you, are you experiencing that? Are you coasting? Is it evident? Paul was saying that it is a very real temptation. In the midst of affliction, it's a very real temptation to give in because he says, I was actually fearful. I was concerned that you might, the tempter, Satan, the source of affliction, persecution, opposition, I, I, was, I, was, I was concerned that he might actually tempt you to give up because of affliction. Now, he's not talking about affliction that, that we experience on a daily basis because we live in a fallen world, but he's talking about affliction in response to living for the gospel. And Paul warned them about that in, in Acts 14. They, 
they went from church to church. It says in Acts 14, 22, it says, strengthening the souls of disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith, and saying that through many tri tribulations, a tribulation word is affliction, same word, we must enter the kingdom of God. And Paul wasn't alone in that. He, he was just writing what he had heard from the apostles. He actually was writing what he'd heard from Jesus himself. Jesus and the apostles both taught the same thing. Second Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It wasn't just Paul. Peter taught the same thing. First Peter 4.12, he says, Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That's what we're going to experience. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or evildoer, or a muddler. If anyone suffers for Christ as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Jesus taught about it as well. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer those things. If it was necessary for the Christ to suffer those things, it's necessary for his followers. All those who take up his cross like him will bear a cross like his. But he wasn't writing those things to condemn us. He says in John 16, 1, he says, I've said all these things to keep you from falling away. He says, they're going to put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming whenever who, when, when whoever kills you will think that they're doing a service to God. He says, I'm writing these things so you won't fall away. Jesus was not telling us these things. God doesn't want us to hear that affliction is a normal part of the Christian life so that we fall away. No, it's actually to strengthen us. So we won't be surprised, so we won't be tempted to give up, so that we see that, that affliction can be endured by the Christian in faith. That's the second major truth we're going to see, that affliction can be endured by the Christian in faith. That's why they sent Timothy. In verse 2, he says, We sent Timothy, our brother, co-worker in the gospel, to establish and exhort you. How? He wanted to make sure that they weren't, they weren't throttled, they weren't shaken by affliction. How were they not shaken by affliction? Well, they were unshaken by affliction by being established and taught, exhorted in the faith. You might wonder, why are we doing things this year like the new why are two of our goals one of the goals is to go through the new city catechism together as a church another goal of us as a church is to go through the saturate field guide together in our small groups and by the way if you're not in a small group you can still do that you can get the saturate field guide we have copies of it out there you can go through it on your own as well but we're going through it as a church why because we want you to be established and we want you to be strengthened in your faith, so that not only do you know what you believe, but you know why you believe it, and you're firm in that faith, so that you're not shaken or moved by any afflictions as you go and share that faith. It's funny, a few months ago, uh, a couple months ago, we, we drove up in Virginia, and we're driving around. There was uh, an old stone house there that I remember seeing when I was a kid, and it's called Bell Grove. And I was wondering, what does, this, what does it look like now? So we, we drove around this old stone house that was built in the 1700s. And we drove there, and it looked exactly the same as I remember when I was a kid. 
And then I, I was thinking about why. why. How did this, you know, so many houses that are built 20 years ago are falling down. Even the house that we're in needs constant repair. And, you know, homes built today don't seem to last as long. Well, that house lasts long because it's entirely made out of stone. It's made out of granite. The entire, the entire house is built in these big granite blocks. Not just the foundation, but the walls all the way up to the roof. And then I think the roof is slate. This is a firm house, a firmly established, well-built house. And that, that's how we're meant to be. That's why we need to know that affliction is coming, so it won't surprise us. It doesn't shake us. We know that's okay. And we realize we, we have a faith that's unshakable. We have a faith and a foundation that's more secure than what anybody else says around us. Because here's the truth. God has the final word. He's already said about us what is really true. So when people afflict us, when they persecute us, when they say bad things about us, when they oppose us, we know our faith, we can be firm in our faith, knowing that, that God will never reject us, he doesn't reject us, God will keep us faithful to the end, and that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. We can endure anything knowing that he keeps us, that no matter what people do to our body, that, that no one can ultimately harm or take our life. And Jesus, when he was talking to disciples, he talked about building our lives around him, around this good news about who he was and this relationship with him. And so in Matthew, when Jesus is talking to them in Matthew 7, he says, Every, in Matthew 7, 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, meaning places your faith in them, acts on it, on the words of Jesus, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. This church had already been started, but they needed to be established and taught in the faith. That's what kept them and will keep us in the midst of afflictions. They're, it can be endured. And we're actually meant to look back and see that the Thessal Thessalonians and Paul, they endured afflictions. And that builds our faith that we too can endure afflictions. Because most of the time, our afflictions in this country are, are not in comparison to what Paul experienced as he's being whipped, stoned, left for dead, put in jail. Thessalonian Christians are dragged out of their houses into a public marketplace, put in jail, threatened, beaten. Now that... That may one day come to those things, but, but it's encouraging to look and see other believers enduring affliction and not being moved because their faith in Christ sustains them. It's not a fatalistic teaching. It's meant to prepare us, and it's also meant to encourage us. We need to hear this and see this, that God doesn't just cause us to be afflicted. Did you, did you notice that it says that Satan hindered us, but he couldn't stop them? He didn't stop them. That it says we're destined for this. Who, who destined them to endure affliction? Well, it was, it was God doing the destining. That's actually meant to encourage us, not, oh no, God wants bad things to happen. No, 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 no. It's for us to see that God is ultimately reigning and ruling over all things, that he is the one who is, his purposes are the ones that prevail. And Jesus promises us peace in the midst of affliction. He says, take heart, I've overcome the world." Paul, he's, he's encouraged when they get news back in verse 6. Timothy brings back wonderful news. They remain strong in their faith and love. 
These are brand new believers, really. They're, they're less than a year old in the faith, and yet they were able to weather this kind of affliction, and that should give us hope and faith that, that God will enable us to. They didn't just profess belief. It was seen in their love that flowed for Paul and one another. And then I love verse 7. He says, For this reason, brothers, in our, our distress and affliction. And by the way, Paul, his distress and affliction was not minor. He says, in the midst of distress and affliction, how was he encouraged? The same way that we're to be encouraged. We're comforted, meaning, oh, it's refreshing to have news of you come alongside us to comfort us. We're comforted about you through your faith. We're comforted knowing that God is able to sustain those who trust in him. Reading a story about a guy named Father George. He's a Coptic Christian in Egypt. By the way, I encourage you to read stories of martyrs, people who suffer for Christ. There's this little book from long ago called Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's very encouraging to read of faith in Christ that's sustained through the ages. It's a recent story back in 2017. He says, bombs blew up two historic Coptic Christian churches on Palm Sunday in Egypt, killed 50 parishioners, injured more than 100 others. Just hours after the blast, amid the outrage and grief, uh, Father Bulls George stepped before his packed church and gave the terrorists a three-point sermon that went viral. It was entitled, A Message to Those Who Kill Us. His three points were simple but not cliche. Thank you, we love you, and we're praying for you. He said, thank you, because the terrorists gave the dead the honor to die as Christ died. Because the terrorists shortened the victim's journey to their heavenly home. Because the terrorists allowed Christians to fulfill Christ's words in Luke 10, 3. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. And because the terrorist actions made people mindful of their eternal destinies. Church was now, in fact, overflowing with people who didn't ordinarily attend it. Then Father George said, he said, we love you. Because even murderers and thieves love those who love them, but only followers of Jesus are taught to love our enemies. Father George closed his message saying, we're praying for you, because he reasoned that if a terrorist could taste the love of God, even one time would drive hatred from his heart. God intends to strengthen us in our faith through affliction. And and often it comes through seeing others weather affliction and bring glory to God and bring joy to others who did not know God. And here's the last thing we're going to look at in this passage, that God says that affliction is not final for the Christian. Affliction is not final for the Christian. His purpose, his purposes are. Affliction is not final for the Christian. His purposes are. Even though God destines affliction, his purposes is what reigns supreme. You know what Paul said? He says, it's our joy. You are our joy and our crown that we're going to wear. Like, like an Olympic runner, they would, they would be crowned with a laurel wreath. And they would wear that wreath as an evidence of victory that they had won. And so Paul says, I'm, I'm looking forward to that day standing to be proud to say, I, I, we've won, won the victory. My race has not been in vain because I shared the gospel and you're like a crown because Jesus is coming back. That's what he says. He says, for what is our crown, our joy, our hope, our boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Isn't it not you? Because Jesus is coming don't, don't miss that in the midst of this passage about affliction. Jesus is coming. That means that he didn't die and remain dead. He's been raised to life. He's coming back again. He is the one 
who holds all things. He's, he is the one who is over all things. And the fact that they're standing fast in the Lord is what gives him encouragement and hope, knowing why. He says, he says something interesting. He says, for now we live if you're standing fast in the Lord. What he means is, I, I know that if God is able to sustain you, then my faith's not in vain, and I know that, that my life is secure as well. Jesus holds me. You're standing fast, and the Lord gives us life. It breathes life into us, and invigorates us, strengthens us. It's not the final word. Knowing and seeing God sustaining you makes us know that, that afflictions doesn't have the final word. I like the way Paul put it in Romans 8, 17. He says, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs of Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Here's the thing. Our suffering is not the end. Your affliction is not the end because there is a day when Christ will return and we will be glorified in him. There will be a day when we finish the race and we're rewarded with crowns. I love what Jesus said in Matthew 10, 21. He says, brother will deliver brother over to death. I don't love that part. Father is child. Children rise against parents and have them put to death. You'll be hated by all for my name's sake. Here's the part I love. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Affliction is not final. God says his purposes are. I love what Jesus said in John 16, 33. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation, affliction. But take heart, I've already overcome the world. God's purposes are what's final. Affliction's not. For people who didn't know Christ in Thessalonica, those Roman citizens, they would have been overjoyed with the idea of Caesar coming to visit would have been the highest honor they could receive and Paul tells them about an honor that's far higher than that he tells them that the Lord Jesus is coming his very presence coming to be with his people the highest king of, of heaven is coming to, no matter what and I love that that's really a theme that runs through all, all throughout the book of this little, little teeny letter to the Thessalonians it, we, we see it in, in verse 13 we're going to talk about next week 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he prays that God might establish our hearts blameless and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. God is the final word. And he's coming with all his saints, not just one or two of them. In chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians, you can look down your Bibles in verse 16, he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one of these words. Affliction doesn't have the final word God's purposes do. I love he continues on in, in, in chapter 5 and 9, 11. He says, for God has not destined us for wrath. Don't mistake present affliction for God's wrath. He says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another, build one another, just as you were doing. And then in, in verse 23 of chapter 5, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Christian, God's purposes are being accomplished through affliction. And often, they're actually to, to shine a light on, on how short this life is, to make people consider what's really important in life, to make people consider what they're really living for. Don't, don't live with a small perspective on your opposition, on the opposition you experience in affliction. God's purpose, it's, it's greater than that. It, it outshines those things. It, it outlasts those things. And we can stay faithful because not any one of God's purposes will fail. Here's the thing. When you experience affliction and opposition from the world and motivated by the devil, the spiritual warfare that we're going to experience as Christians, know that affliction is not of God towards us. God is not afflicting us with his wrath. He's not afflicting us because he's punishing us. No, the afflictions we experience are from opposition from the world, the devil. Because, you know, what scripture tells us is that Jesus actually has already borne the ultimate afflictions. So we never will experience affliction from God. He's he's praying for us. He is at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. And he reigns sovereignly over all. What does that mean? When he's, he's at the right hand of the throne of God. That means he's ruling and reigning. And so I love the end of Romans 8. It says that, that nothing will separate us, neither death, nor life, nor tribulation, nor distress, nor nakedness, nor sword, nor peril. Nothing will separate us from the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Because why? He is he's reigning and ruling at the throne of God. And he's coming back. And all those who stand before him at his coming, even though we're destined for affliction now, we can take heart knowing he's overcome the world and, and he's going to keep us faithful to the end. And as we apply this, we want to ask ourselves some questions. The same question I asked at the beginning. Are we living, putting our faith in Christ? Are, are, we, are we being bold in our faith, in living out our faith? If not, why not? And then we can trust God that as we live boldly, by faith, outwardly, externally, live out our faith, expressing it with our mouths, showing it in our actions, we can trust that, that we'll endure and he'll keep us because his purpose is right. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that encourages, that establishes, that strengthens us. Would you increase our faith in you Lord, your word challenges us, but Lord, thank you that your word comforts us in our challenges. Would we receive comfort from you this morning? Would we receive fresh faith? Would we be encouraged seeing that you have overcome? Would you give us joy knowing that you are coming and you, you will reward a crown to all those who endure to the end? Lord, help us live for that day today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.